Welcome to the Family Law Now podcast. Today we have a really important topic. It's the mandatory information program that's required by the Ontario Family Court. Part one, we discussed several issues in depth with my guests, Sonia Kirk and Doug Millstone. Part two, we're gonna take a deeper dive into the mandatory information program and pick up where we left off in part one. So let's make a start. So we have part three. What are we looking at here? I guess we've discussed this uh, to a certain degree earlier. Well, it's actually what, what's happened now is people who don't have child-related issues. It's uh, spousal support, it's child support, um, uh, and they've left. So now we have the people with children and parenting issues, and now you're really... So the, ro- the room empties out? Yes. Okay. Sometimes. Sometimes. Okay. Yeah. People leave. Right. So then it really, it really is the uh, social worker's opportunity to talk about kids and their reactions to um, a separation and right. how, children rea- how children see the world, right? And how children, what the lens of a child is. And they're talking about best interests of children, how children react, and so on and so forth. And that's their function. So when it comes to the lawyer function, it's then the opportunity to talk about those two words, custody and access. And those are fighting words for Those are people, very right? fighting words, and yeah. I've tried to deflect because children are not things, and time spent with them is not an ATM card that allows right. you to access them. And right. the wording will change, yes. and even judges will use different words and allow for the word parenting plan or and parenting time time decision making right. yes. t- parenting time all kinds of pieces around parenting time and i'll always point to that green sheet that uh, blue hills puts out about the long 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 list at any rate it's then an opportunity that's the long list of parenting options on parenting options right we'll try to get that as part of our show notes today but well i'll i have it so i'll okay. send it to you thank you doug a pleasure so i then try to talk to to people because for since 1979 I've been on the children's lawyer panel right I will try to talk to people about seeing the world through the lens of their children and moving off how they see what their children say and try to understand their kids looking up at them and saying mom and dad this is how I feel this is how I'm reacting doesn't matter how old I am or not and that's often an eye-opener for people who are litigating because it's a conflict between sure. two people about their children but not recognizing the impact or how their kids see the world. So I will spend a lot of time on that. And we, you know, we've seen it all, you know, parents who say fight for their, their access or their parenting time and then drop the kids off at the grandfather, the grandparents, and don't even see their kids all weekend. Right. And then you see other parents who are counting days or counting hours or counting sleepovers. And they're, you know, if we look at child support, there's a threshold where there could be a set off. So it's unrelated to the time with the children. They might be trying to adjust to claim a set off in child support. Right. A, a, a very common one, too, is, but we didn't do this when we were together. That's right. And, and so it's kind of defining that new operating model. Mm-hmm. Well, you also lived under the same roof together. Now you're not going to be. Right. Um, and so... Um, That's such an interesting point. I've seen 
not to stereotype moms say, well, he never spent time with the kids. During, right. But now, now he's got an opportunity to, but he right. never had a t that chance during the relationship. But. Although, it's, although it's interesting, I, I quite agree about time and, and, and a new model for, for the parent who just was out being the breadwinner. But it's interesting when it comes to decision-making, because then I will say or ask, how did the two of you make decisions about X, Y, or Z when it came to your right. kids? And there's all a range. Yes. There's some stereotypical ranges sure. and there's some other ones. But then when it comes to decision-making, sometimes it leads to a resolution by asking how people did it when they were together. That's a great tip. And a lot of the big decisions are usually made by the time or often by the time people go to court. You know, medical decisions for most families are deferred to family uh, doctors right. or specialists. Usually the religion is decided, the education is decided, the traveling can be dealt with, uh, with travel consent uh, forms and restrictions on passports. So really, unless there's an issue of mobility where somebody wants to move out of the jurisdiction, most of these big ticket decision-making already made and it's amazing the number of times in a consult when when a, a person has the opportunity to sit down with a family law lawyer right or a family professional too like don't either or and when you break it down for them and and you see them kind of deflate the fight there really is no fight right. when it comes to decision making it's going to flow you know the 16 year old is already knows whether you know they're already on track to college right. and university they can already make their own medical health decisions right so what are we you forget about that right these, yes they're yeah so many what is adults it? that are going to make these decisions yes if they choose so to. what is it about that label about having custody that is so or even soul custody like, it's yeah. pride right it's pride it's stereotypically and i hate to do this but it's the mom who said i made all the decisions and all it's of a her sudden, identity, right? All of Sometimes, a sudden, all yeah. of a sudden, he wants in, and Dad will say, "Well, they're my children, and I want to know, and I want to be part of the decision making." And it comes down to that crucial little way of how they ultimately resolve a conflict. That right. little point that all of a sudden brings out the worst in them. And they yeah. can't quite cross that bridge. It's but very, the language will prevent the case from resolving, right? People will go to trial yes. over the oh, language. That's right. And, and judges, it, does, it doesn't affect their actual decision making. It just it's the optics of it. It's the label. Right. They can't get past the label. It's really, really interesting. And just for the record, there's lots of dads who have custody of their children of who do course. a great job Jobs. Uh, or shared parenting. So this isn't uh, an analysis based on the plumbing. It's just how people approach language and how that becomes a fight in the course. Russell, you're looking at one of those dads. Well, it's also, I think, supporting the family, albeit separated, in, okay, if we're gonna give a parent the opportunity to change their role or step up in a certain way or step back in a certain way, what happens if they fail? If they succeed, right? So if, in the case of a dad, you know, becoming more involved, coming to more doctor's appointments because they didn't before. How bad is that? Mm -hmm. Right? Um, and also technology. Technology is amazing because now there's less of a fight about a teacher not telling about homework 
or a parent not knowing about what's happening at school. I remember my son in kindergarten, um, we had an app called Seesaw. I got daily pictures of right. what my child was doing right. and the teacher was constantly communicating, you know, tomorrow's pink shirt day. Well, both parents are getting that. So nobody can say, well, you know, mom didn't tell me or dad didn't tell me. There's um, our family wizard, there's Google calendars, there's right. ways of communicating so much more effectively and efficiently um, that it doesn't fall to one parent and the other parent becomes aggravating and aggravated um, yeah. and, and that can manage communication. So technology's, I think, taken some of the steam out of some of these potential fights as well. Right, yeah, My, our family wizard monitors the tone of the messages and yes. it really is child focused. There's lots of great programs out there like that to assist the parents. So you get notifications, oh, um, dad has put an appointment for the dentist. So right. if mom has any questions or wants to show, right. she knows, right? There's yeah. where haircuts are happening. This is where the basketball game's going to be. So it's, it's open and um, I think it improves the relationship. Sometimes, just sometimes, because the label piece I think really sets people off and uh, getting an outside thought. So and we talk about in, in the MIP, just to bring it right. back, is the, the Office of the Children's Lawyer. The, the program talks about assessments, which unfortunately now have become incredibly expensive. It, it fails to mention... And That's a parenting assessment. A parenting assessment, right. yes. Okay. Uh, fails to mention voice of the child, a, a, a more focused kind of way of having parents hear what their kids say about how mom and dad worked through the thing, what right. happened at school that this got solved or didn't get solved. And sometimes hearing from their kids, it doesn't matter how old they are, helps parents. I think that's sort of the flavor of the day in the sense that we're seeing more and more judges look towards a voice of a child report as opposed to a full-blown assessment. For a number of reasons, one of the most important ones is a lot more efficient. We can get a voice of a child report out in four or five weeks. An assessment might take you six months. Um, well, it's also the cost, <coughs> right? right? So, so an assessment, twenty, thirty thousand dollars would not be unheard of. Right. Um, voice of the child could be done at a fraction, and it could be also a targeted question. That's right. Um, the other thing that the, the MIP doesn't really talk about is parenting coordination. So kind of how to set you up for success so you're not bringing motions to change what Doug right. was talking sure. about and attending before people like Doug and the, and the dispute resolution officers, so that you have a go-to person that can deal with those you know, I think it's this, you think it's that, and, and kind of breaking that impasse. You can build that into your agreement saying if there's a dispute. You can, but it's silent. The, the MIP doesn't chat about that kind of as a, we do in collaborative. No, but even in, you can make that part of a court order saying these. But you and I know these that. aspects of parenting yes. can be delegated to right. the parenting coordinator yes. who'll decide. Yeah, we know it's yeah, like we, the public does <laughs> I, but, but it's easy to you. Yes, yeah. to, to us it's like breathing. But right. but in, in terms of the MIP script, there's there's no mention about parenting coordination, whether it's that strict, you know, they're, they're an arbitrator or more of a loose parenting coordination right. where you're going to a family neutral and you're saying we're going to empower you by working with you to kind of help us sure. navigate these issues going forward so you're not running to the lawyers, you're not bringing a motion to change. Yeah. 
and you can address them quickly before they build up and fester. Right. That's the big one because motions to change take time. And those thousands of dollars you paid to the lawyers could be put into an education fund, could be used to buy Christmas presents. Mm -hmm. uh, you're just flushing your money down the toilet when it, there's other options. Don't it, get me wrong. It falls Come hire your lawyers. I'm not saying no. no I know I'm that. I'm just saying there's other options that could save you time and expense that are just as effective. No question. I'm afraid, unfortunately, that sometimes those kinds of comments fall on deaf ears. It's really sad. Right. You know, it's so obvious to us to say you could be spending your money on your kids. Even to try to say that a full-blown court case could cost their first undergraduate degrees that's right. Doesn't always register in the heat of the moment. Yeah. It's until the eve of trial. Or to try to have people think of the world in a business-like way, very, very, very challenging to have the temperature drop. And right. Hopefully, something in the MIP, all the information can help people get to that spot. Or learn their resources. Right. That can help you yeah. get yes. there. Absolutely. Uh, it's, again. There's, I, I'm not sure what the statistic is as of right now, the number of self-represented people or people who either start without counsel representing themselves or in the course of their litigation can no longer afford a lawyer and so find themselves without counsel going forward. And so a lot of this is helpful because the program also makes it clear that if you're not, if you're not working with a lawyer, you're still expected to know and find out what the timelines are for preparing a case conference brief, which is usually the first step after mm -hmm. the MIP. So you're we're expected assuming... to know the rules of the court and to comply with the timeline. Absolutely. Yes, which you're... are difficult for even lawyers to do yes. because there's holidays and then yeah. you want to get everything served and filed properly. Yeah. You legitimately need an extension of time right. because you're away for work or you've yeah. fallen ill, um, you're waiting for documents to come in. So there's lots of reasons that are reasonable that, you know, if Doug were to write to me and say, I need an extension of time, Sonia, my client needs, you know, a lot of times as a professional courtesy, and especially knowing Doug, I will say yes. Yeah. People, I you try know? to refer them to the Family Law Information Center. Yes. Like I said, by the time they're almost at the end of the second hour, they've shut down. I think the mind can take in only as much as the seat can endure, so. There is a lot of information. So to say, here's a resource if you have issues to try to resolve about court and right. the rules and the process, there's somebody here to help you. So let's just inform the public. What is the Family Law Information Center? Where do you find it and what can you get there? Every court has a Family Law Information Center. So it's an office you can walk into. It's a, actually a front reception sort of desk right. where people can go and either speak to a lawyer or a, uh, a law student, man them, and they will help sometimes complete a document, make sure documents are complete, explain the rules, tell people how to serve a document, how to make sure somebody else gets it, right. how to make sure that the court knows that somebody else has gotten it, that's a 
lay person. They'll have the forms there. They so have forms. Somebody says, I need to fill a 14B. They'll have the 14B there that you can go and complete. They'll explain what 14B means. Right. They'll explain what affidavit of service means. They'll explain what swearing a document means without right. it being profanity. You're not talking about your spouse at this point. <laughs> right. We're talking <laughs> about... It's a true document. Right. right. I swear. It's confirm. just... Yeah. You know, we've been there. This is our life. Right. But people who have... I mean, just, I've, I've said to people, think about the first time you've ever had to try to buy something, like a car, or a computer, right. or something you have no knowledge about. What do you do? Right. You get some research somewhere. So you go to the store, go to a lawyer. You go online and look, go online and look. And we forget, we use lots of acronyms and, you know, SCV, TMC, you'll get an endorsement from a judge that looks like a prescription with a bunch of short form, we understand that a TMC is a trial management conference or SCV could be settlement conference brief, but we're speaking a different language. If you have this endorsement, most of the public cannot understand what the endorsement says. So they won't know what endorsement What's an endorsement? What's, an, <laughs> what's an endorsement? There we go again. So Where's my court order? Right. What's yeah. an order? Yeah. So just to back it up, yeah. an endor if you have a conference, the judge will write a, a recommendation, a new court date on a piece of paper. We refer to that as an endorsement. Yes. But it's written in such a way where... The lawyers can understand it easily in its short form, but nobody else can. Sometimes the court clerk can't understand what was written. A court order is when you take that endorsement and make it a formal order of the court. And then that can be enforced using a bunch of different enforcement mechanisms. And so, how do you do that? That's right. And how do you read it? Because sometimes judges use short forms and their writing is illegible. There's so much that goes right. on. And what goes in. So what part of what the judge has written is commentary what is it that, you know, an order is what's right. telling the world, here's the what person A has to do. The comments don't go in the order. Exactly. Right. Yeah. 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 So there's, there's lots of nuances. And as somebody that is self-representing themselves through this process, you're expected to become aware of them. Yeah. Um, oh. and, and to navigate that system. So on time. With your forms yes. done four pages or less. And what are the implications if you don't? So if you don't come to court with financial disclosure, Well, let's talk about that. You know, I think there might be a bit of a double standard, and I'm not trying to get myself in trouble here, but sometimes courts will be a little bit more accommodating with unrepresented parties because they know they don't know the rules. If I showed up with no brief and unprepared, my, cost, my client would likely be paying costs. Yes. If an unrepresented party shows up with no brief, I'm prepared, they may hold the matter down so they can see due to counsel if they qualify. They may ask the counsel what are the issues, so I'll, we'll identify the issues for what we think the unrepresented party, just to assist the court. But sometimes, like you're suggesting, there's a sanction if you don't follow the rules. So what can people expect? And, and the MIP, I think that's in part what the MIP's trying to do, is right. to start letting, putting people on notice that there are these expectations. Whether right. you have counsel or you're not, um, these are still your expectations. So there are opportunities in the script where we do mention outright, if you fail to provide disclosure, you fail to do something on a timely basis, here's the fallout. It's perhaps causing the other person problems 
because they've paid for a lawyer, they've come on time, they've done what they've suppo right. they're, they're supposed to do. Um, and ultimately, cost consequences. Okay. So let's break that down. Yeah. What are costs? Disclosure yeah. could mean your tax returns, your yes. pay stub, uh, you know, your mortgage statement. So documents and information that the court needs. Yes. Now what are costs? So it's basically a judge saying, person A, or the applicant, or the respondent, in, that, in court language, here's what you've done or not done, and as a result, there's a consequence. And the you consequence know. is you have to pay the legal fees of the other person. Right. That's what that means. Not the court costs. You're paying the other person, your spouse's lawyer yes. now. Right. Yeah. You're not paying the judge for their time. Right. And you're not paying the judge for the use of that courtroom. You are paying your husband, wife, spouse, um, parent of your child. So I'm going to throw you a law ball here, Douglas. What if somebody doesn't pay their costs? What are the consequences to them? Well, there are, there are things that can happen if I don't pay costs. People can be ultimately very defiant and um, antagonistic towards the process and just not do even though they come. So, if, for example, if I don't do what I'm supposed to do, a court can say to me, well, you're not going to be able to participate in the proceeding. You're not going to be able to file any documents. I will not hear your side of the story. Right. End of discussion. You can come to court. You can be there. But I won't hear anything that you have to say. I won't have any information about you. And it'll happen entirely based on what the other person says. If that's what you want, that's fine. Which means the court might impute income to the person. They might go with the one party's uh, property valuation. It's basically th things are going to go badly for you if you don't have a right to be heard. Right. If, my, if the other party's income tax returns show their income and show my income and I'm not doing anything, they might entirely rely on what the income tax return says is my right. income. Or let's back that up, impute. Impute means assigning me an income. Regardless of what I make or don't make, whether I'm willfully employed or underemployed, the judge may say, sir, this is what I'm going to find as a fact is your income and I'm going to base everything on that and you just won't have a chance. Including support, which could be enforced through the Family Responsibility Office, yes. which means they could suspend your driver's license affect your credit rating, garnish you your wages, and put you in jail. So let's back that up. What's the Family Responsibility Office? All of these folks in the MIP don't know any of this. Right. So they need to hear that Family Responsibility Office is a bureaucracy that will take a court order that obliges one party to pay support and enforce it through that person's employer, their bank accounts, and if they're not able to find the person or do whatever, there can be consequences like losing a driver's license, a passport, uh, all kinds of federal licenses, or all kinds of consequences about things that can happen, including going to jail. Right. Well, and somebody and being self-employed is not something you can hide behind. Right. So I, I do. We often will hear, <clears throat> but I, you know, I I issue myself a T four. Well, then your company is going to be right. getting a notice, so yeah. you will be garnished indirectly. And I'll, right? so, sorry, I'll, sorry. Also, I'll also tell them, they'll say, well, we have an agreement. I'll say, well, that's fine. If you have a court order, 
it's automatically enforced. If you have an agreement and don't live up to it, the person who wants you to can file it with the court right. and it can be enforced just the, way as a, just the same way as a court order. So people at MIP are all of a sudden having their eyes opened right. to all of it. So the person who was the ostrich, the person who's defiant, usually the respondents, all of a sudden realize that they need to participate yeah. some way and hopefully we've given them all kinds of alternatives. You hear these clients say, well, I'm just going to quit my job. Well, it doesn't quite work that way. Not going to work. <clears throat> if you tell a Canada Revenue Agency your income's 25000 because you're operating your own business and that's a tax-efficient way to declare your income, but your financial statement says your expenses are 110000 the court's likely going to go with the 110000 or they're going to ask you, how are you meeting your expenses? Or if I show myself having an income in my corporation of $25,000, yet the corporate books show money in the bank. Retained earnings are, yeah. Of $150,000. Right. right? And, and that stresses the importance of financial disclosure. Yes. And why the courts, uh, in my opinion, spend so, why, why they're so stretched thin because people not participating, giving partial disclosure, um, not understanding what's expected of them, right. um, the level of detail. Sometimes you're being asked to produce too much. Sometimes the person's not producing enough. So you kind of feel like Goldilocks, too hot, right. too cold, just right. right. So just Is finding that Is it a fishing expedition? Are you trying to cause hardship by asking for bank records going back 15 years? Yes. Or is it relevant? Yes. Well, right. I think that's the other important takeaway for people. Even, even the applicants who are asking for something need to know that disclosure is important. So if you hear that word and what it entails, and how it can delay the process for right. months. I think that's another important takeaway. And I'm not sure that that's always, I'm not trying to knock the MIP, but I think some of the things that could be enhanced about it um, could be something the ministry could look at, but that's just my own opinion. Okay, one other thing that we uh, have on our slides here that we haven't talked about with respect to the MIP is um, the information that you guys provide with respect to child support. So what can we expect going to a session to learn about child or spousal support that uh, is going to be helpful? They call, they call it uh, child support guidelines yeah. and I tell them it's child support law. I say, essentially, this is what you make, this is what you pay, and that's the rule of thumb. And the and guidelines, I, a chart produced by the government where you plug your income in, you count how many children you have, and it gives you a number. Absolutely, and I tell them that's for food, shelter, clothing, and pizza days. Right. The basics. And it's the right of the child. Right. That what they're coming into is, you know, this is, this is the child's right. Yes, it may go into mom's house or dad's house, but it is for the children living in that home. Right. So mm -hmm. negotiating it away or being, you know, that those guidelines are pretty fixed in stone. Well, divorce applications will get rejected unless there's an explanation in terms of what the provisions are in place for the children. So it's something judges are specifically looking for all the time. People, people will ask about, I just want a divorce, and I will say if you have children, you need to be able to show what the child support being paid is. The other big blowbacks that I get are, 
well, yes, the money goes into his or her hands. How do I know it's going for the right. children? One, and then, as we all know, because there's this provision about the time that children spend with each parent, that sometimes a non-residential parent really wants to increase the time they spend in order to reduce their obligation. And then I'll have a whole discussion in the question and answer period about the more time your children spend with you, uh, it's going to cost you a lot more out of your pocket because of the things you need to You're provide for them. You're buying groceries, you need another room, room right. clothing, so, all the bits and pieces I that go I think you need in. to think about the implications of any or all of that. And then it'll, kind of, it'll get into the set-off piece, meaning that in, to do this in layperson's terms, what does one person pay based on their income and what does the other person pay based on theirs? and the amount is set off. And then there's the question is, what is the income, right? Yes, and, and the child support's made up of two components. So the guidelines being the table, so the one, the, what comes in every month versus special or extraordinary expenses or section seven expenses. All right, now you lost me. You yes. lost me a section seven. <laughs> so so, so let's, this so is important done, because yes. this, for lawyers, it's a gray area and there's lots of litigation yes. around this. What are we talking about here? So more than just the basic day-to-day -day needs for a child of putting a, roof, putting a roof over their head, food on the table, clothes on their back, that's what the guidelines right. help calculate, that, okay. that number. So these are things like parents are working. Well, who's going to take care of the children while you're at work? So daycare. Um, as the kids here, here I thought we're wrapping up. I think we've got another hour, and, but let, this is important. Let's talk yeah, about it. So again, the MIP is introducing this concept right. for many, many people. Um, so things like daycare, medical expenses not covered by a health plan. So prescription drugs, perhaps braces are a very common one. Eyeglasses, maybe. Yes. Um, Post-secondary education. Yes, college, university, tuition, residential fees, and then those are the biggies. Right. And then rep hockey versus swimming lessons versus girl guides versus, yeah, extracurricular Summer activities. Summer camps. So my, my experience with those, if the activities occurred during yes. the relationship, right. there's yeah. an expectation that it would continue unless the family's incredibly impoverished for some reason. But you can't sign up your daughter to go on a $10,000 horse riding summer camp if that's never occurred prior to that. I think the guidelines have been changed to actually reflect that and I think you put it in one clear sentence. Is this what your kids used to do? Right. And is it within the budget? That's good. But it's the biggies that... that right. And right. post-secondary we're talking about college and university. The estimate in Ontario is about $24,000 a year to send a child off to college maybe more if it's a professional degree, a university degree. And those expenses uh, need to be shared in some fashion. Shared in some fashion, child needs to contribute in some fashion as well. So sometimes right. parents disagree as to what that's going to look like. What happens to the RESP? Yes. How does that get divided? Who paid sure. into or, it? Or grandma and grandpa have put, mom's parents have put money away time. so how does that get sure. used does it not get used so there's lots of when does it end 22 23 yes. first degree what if the parents are professionals is there an expectation right. their child should be put through medical school in the days when i was litigating because i don't anymore i had a judge say to me i'm not putting a, a, a date on this i'm not putting a termination date what i am going to tell you to do is say that at this age you're going to talk about it again 
right. because who knows what your kids will be doing. So what you're talking about is a termination date to end the child support or contribution to post-secondary education. Right, let's back that up actually. What right. does termination mean? Exactly. How long does one have to pay this child support? So, Because realistically, um, I remember a colleague telling me that a, a divorce, just an uncontested divorce was rejected. The separation agreement negotiated with two lawyers, everyone in agreement using the collaborative process, no less. But because it said child support would end after one college diploma or undergraduate degree, the judge wrote an endorsement saying, wait a minute. What if it takes six years to get a three-year diploma? No, it was, it was even worse. It was the flip side. So a child goes off to college at 17, 18, in two years. So by 19, you're expecting a child to be self-sufficient with housing prices and living costs. Right. What kind of job do you expect them to have? So kind of go back and elaborate. So, you know, and realistically nowadays, kids, even though they do finish a diploma, undergraduate degree, kids are combining it. So they'll do a four-year programs and then a two-year college. They'll do all kinds of different things. Right. Um, and what if it takes them a year or two to find a job? Okay. They're living with one parent or both parents. So What's the expectation? Is there or isn't there a legal expectation? Versus a moral. This is what I as a parent should be doing for my child. Well, then child. you have the, the issue of estranged children who don't communicate with the other spouse, yes. uh, treats them like a checkbook or the other parent doesn't share their transcripts, their marks, their attendance. You know, the parent who's paying, how can they know that the child's still even attending, you know? So, child support. <laughs> it's not what you make, this is what you pay. Right. It's a whole lot more than that. But it's important, at least at MIP, to bring it back to that, is that right. people understand that it's not just that. And it's not just I want more time, so I pay less. Or this has been a really fantastic podcast. Um, let's wrap it up with a couple uh, tips from you guys each, if you don't mind. The first one I want to ask is ways the program can be improved. And the second and the more important question, I think, would be um, for the public going to MIP, what tips do you have so they can really get the most out of this program, which I think is fantastic in the sense that you're providing with information that's going to help them navigate the court system. Do you want to go first, Anya? Um, ways it could be improved. I think my wish, and it's very aspirational, um, we have a captive audience um, that's there for a set period of time. It's too bad that the Flick office isn't open. Right. It's too bad that there aren't service providers there. How realistic is it? The resources available, but it's a, it's. I think it would be an excellent opportunity. More basic than that, um, I think a nice little video would be lovely to supplement because, as Doug has mentioned, people are overwhelmed. So it'd be nice to kind of go back. Watch it over again. Yeah. It, you know, on my phone, like you said, in in the ride to work. You know, is there a podcast? that sort of thing that yeah. somebody can refresh their memory and some people are learn better visually auditory you know all kinds of different ways so to hit them up all all different ways to kind of have that 
sink in more. Doug's way to ways to improve MIP. Well, I think at the very least, people ought to be have some information going in about what MIP is and what it will do, and to encourage them to bring uh, a pen and paper. Right. To, if necessary, if they need an accommodation, to bring somebody so that all of what they get, they can try to absorb as much as they can. One and two, I think there needs to be a greater emphasis on alternatives. Um, I think trying to explain to people what to expect in the court process, step by step by step, once they walk out of the room, they won't remember it. So they need to know that there's a family law information center that can help them work through each and every step in terms of preparing their documents so that if they're self-repped, no lawyer all the way through, they can do it. Right. Or even take an hour and find a lawyer and speak to that lawyer about alternatives to court. Um, there's a lot out there that we haven't even talked about today, but even if you have to pay the lawyer their hourly rate, or maybe you'll get a free consultation somewhere, ask, what can I do other than going to court to settle my family matter? Agreed. I think, I, I mean, I know that I try to emphasize to people what to look for in a consultation. If somebody says a half an hour free may be helpful for a start, but once the 30 minutes is over, it's like, I'm choked off. Yeah. Yeah, it's because the Law Society referral service, if people are calling there to try to get a referral versus kind of Googling um, or getting recommendations from friends and family, the Law Society offers a free 30 minute um, consultation. But in 30 minutes, you can only cover so much right. in terms of all the questions a person may have and then also then to talk about process options what would court look like versus the collaborative process versus mediation. We probably spend so 30 on. minutes with clients even before they meet the lawyer to yeah. get background information, do conflict checks, to try to understand what the issues are going to be. So I, I agree with that. It's gonna and to stress to people, again, just because you've started in court and maybe you didn't know all of these things that you might now have taken away from the MIP, it's never too late. It's never too late to change your pleadings. It's never too late to say, oh, now that I know this, maybe I can withdraw something um, or ask for more. It's never too late to, like you said, park the court proceedings. Say, okay, we're gonna do a timeout. We're gonna try mediation. We're gonna try something outside of court. And if it doesn't work out, we'll come back. And stop, get a judge stop the runaway train of litigation. I see that as a, as a, as a mediator people yeah. who are in court and have a court date coming up in two or three months and want to try to mediate something before they go back. They've tried. I think if they got that through MIP, great. Unfortunately, they usually get it through their lawyers. Right. I, I think, I don't know if it has the impact that it was meant to have, but. It's providing people with information, which is always good. So I want to thank both of you guys, Douglas Millstone, Sonia Kirk, for being with me today. This has been a fantastic podcast, probably one of our longest, but there's a lot of important information that we've covered off today. I want to thank our listeners for joining us today. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your friends and family.